It is that time, everybody. Every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle, we get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. Always a pleasure to speak with this man who does a great job uh, covering the sport of MMA. You can uh, check him out. He's the senior editor of MMAJunkie.com, and he is with us now. I'm talking about the one, the only Dave Doyle is with us. Dave, how are you, man? Doing great, my friend. How you doing? Doing really well. It's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up. Uh, MMA is 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 back in business, so to speak. The UFC has been going for a while. Bellator will kick things off on the twenty fourth. But before we get into any specifics about what's gone on uh, with certain fights, what do you think of the product with no fans? I've 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 asked a few different writers about this. I'm always interested to get people's take on it. But I think it's a really cool opportunity for fans to experience a sport that they love in a way they never have and maybe never will again, and that is with no crowd and, and hearing hearing shots land differently, hearing conversation with the with the cornermen during the fight, hearing conversation between the fighters during the fight. I mean, it just is a unique, different experience that I think for a short run is kind of cool. I want fans. I want that electricity. I want that adrenaline. But in the short run, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Where are you at with that? Um, so I think there are pluses and minuses, and I think that you um, you just articulated all the, the positive things that have come out of this. Like, it really is a different um, experience. Um, you know, just it, 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 you, I, don't, I don't know if this would translate to other sports as well, right? Because um, fighting is such a visceral experience. Fighting is such a... Um, uh, individualistic experience that hearing the you know hearing the blows and hearing the cornermen screaming and um, you know I think about the first fight uh, back at UFC 249 when uh, Francis Ngannou knocked out uh, Yarizino and normally you'd hear the roar of the crowd and instead it just really brought the emphasis onto like. Oh my God, that was a that was a mugging of a knockout. <laughs> like you wouldn't have got that in other situations. So in that way, they're making the um, they're certainly making the best of it. To me, the biggest um, the the biggest downer and the biggest downside. There are definitely moments. I would use the recent fight between Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker a few right. weeks. Was tremendous um, fight of the year contender event. That was interesting to see without without fans, but at the same time, there's this voice in the back of my head saying, like, this fight just deserves to have 20,000 people losing their minds watching these two guys, like, warriors go back and forth. You know, like, on a certain level, like, you want the fighters to hear that and experience that. And, and, and as, as a viewer, you want the, the kind of vicarious rush of having, like, everyone lose their minds during a fight and, and have the, the, the fighters kind of soak in that moment in that adulation because they deserve it after uh, putting out like that. I felt like that way after the uh, Rose Mama Junis and Jessica Andrade fight last week. Um, so that to me, like there are definitely fights where you're just like for all the things that are, that are good and interesting about going through with fighting in this area, they're just like, Man, those fighters worked so hard, fought so hard that they just simply, you know, literally, literally as simple as the human interaction of deserving that ovation and deserving that round of applause. There are fights where I feel like I missed that. That, to me, is the biggest negative. 
Yeah, and and I I can't disagree with any of that. I mean, the the adrenaline and electricity that a crowd can provide is especially in a fight is is unlike any other thing. But the one other area I thought could benefit, and I don't know that we've seen that benefit, is in the judging because we always talk about judges being swayed by the crowd and hearing <laughs> hearing the crowd go nuts, and maybe that sways their scoring when maybe the punch didn't truly land, or you know, just that natural human instinct of of you know, sort of swaying the way that the crowd's going. You haven't had that problem in terms of a crowd, yet I don't know that the judging's been really dramatically different. We've still seen some goofy scores in some of these cards. And yes. what, what, what do you think of, of the judging? I thought I was certain, all right, this will be a benefit. This will be a plus. Judges are on their own, and the, the crowd has no impact, and apparently it's just down to poor judging, I guess. Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, poor judging is poor judging. I mean, there's a fight, I... I I'm sorry, there have been so many fights over the past uh, couple of weeks that I'm, I'm blanking on it, but there was one <laughs> fight uh, on Wednesday night's card that, that the decision, I was just like, uh, oh, the Tim Elliott fight. I was like, are you watching the same fight I'm watching? Um, so I guess that doesn't you know doesn't necessarily change whether um, whether there's a crowd there or not. And likewise, there's uh, a referee who was on that card who was pretty much standing up the fighters anytime it seemed like anytime they were actually grappling. Oh, he was brutal. He was brutal. I couldn't figure guys in sight control guys in a dominant position and and working and he's standing them up. And occasionally you do get those refs who get antsy because the crowd is getting antsy during those exchanges, but that wasn't an excuse this time. So I guess you I mean, part of this is that, uh, as I understand it, there's, a limited pool of officials available due to various international travel restrictions. Um, and perhaps some of the guys that they brought in are like, I had never, the guy we're referring to, I can't even remember his name. And I know these guys names uh, off the top of my head. Like they're bringing guys in who, um, you know, aren't necessarily the, uh, the, the cream of the crop. Um, so I guess I guess the lesson we take out of that is that never changes whether there's people in the audience or not. Well, speaking of judging, there was a little bit of controversy over the Max Holloway decision. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky gets the split decision nod. I had Max winning that fight. I don't think it was the worst decision I've ever seen. I didn't walk away going, "Oh, what a robbery!" And I, I get it, but you know, I've, I've watched the fight twice now, and I'm like, "Yeah, I, to me, it's pretty clear he won." There was a lot of blowback, yeah. and, and Max even, you know, sort of chastised his followers like, hey, 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 calm down with the threats and all that kind of stuff. But what what was your takeaway from that fight? Do you think they got it right? So, yeah, it's uh, funny. It, it, I don't know if I uh, had a crystal ball or something, but um, during the time between, you know, the, the, the five minutes or so that seems like an hour and a half between the final horn sounding and the scores being announced, I actually tweeted – that I had this score, I had this fight 49 to 46 Holloway, but that the rounds were close enough that you could score this anything, any, an entire range from 49, 46 max to 48, 47 Volkanovsky, and none of those would be a robbery. Um, I still think Max won the fight. Um, but, you know, this is the, the kind of maddening, frustrating vagaries of MMA scoring system. And, you know, the fact that we inherited, we're still stuck with the system that we inherited from boxing based on 10-9 scores. Um, and in this situation, so there's a path where 
again, like, so Max clearly wins round one and round two, mm-hmm. and then rounds three through five are all uh, – I'm sorry, again, I'm blanking on which round I scored for, for Alex. <laughs> one of those in there was pretty clearly his. The other two are coin flip rounds. So um, if not coin flip, then close enough that you can make a case for either guy. So as this happened and as this turned up, um, you know, it's, it's uh, Alex had the, uh, Alex had the winning hand, so to speak, you know, sometimes, sometimes it goes that way, but that's, I don't know. Like, how do you fix? Because if you use the prize scoring system where you pretty much just write the name of the winner down on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. um, if you're judging the entirety of the fight, 25 minutes start to finish, as opposed to the 10-9 system, then Max takes that running away. If you clearly win two rounds, uh, other guy wins one round, and the other two you probably won, but they're close. Like That's like a no-brainer Max um, decision. So, man, it's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Let me, let me ask you about another fighter that was on that card, and that's Paige Van Zant, who who is is wildly popular, everybody knows who she is, and, and and a lot of that is not because of her fighting. I mean, she has just frankly not been a dominant figure in the cage, and this was the final fight of her of her contract, and she gets submitted in the first round, and Dana White after the fight saying, yeah, she should probably go test the market, you know, and it wasn't the most uh, warm send off, and I saw that she was upset about it, saying, hey, I thought we were better friends than that. Do you, do you get a what? What do you make of Paige and her career, and 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 the idea that she thought Dana and her were better friends? I don't know that Dana's truly great friends with any anybody in particular. <laughs> if, if if we're being honest, I mean, this is kind of uh, I I saw this fight as an end of an era because if you recall, um, Paige Paige uh, came around right around the time that Sage Northcutt also came around, and. Um, the UFC, the UFC, you, you know, they'll give some fighters that they think are more marketable, a uh, more of a push out of the gate than, than than others that they don't perceive that way. But this was a really, this was the most blatant. Wow, these two have the looks and are young to be something uh, to make us some money potentially. So we're really going to grease the, uh, you know, we're we're, we're really going to um, guide the path for them. And it didn't. It didn't work out. Sage is now in fighting and won. And with Paige, in Paige's case, I mean, she made a conscious decision to maximize her out of the ring opportunities, and good on her for that because you only have X amount of time to um, to make something of it. But you do wonder if her development as a fighter suffered because, look, say whatever you want about Paige Van Zandt's, um uh, results in the cage. She's super tough. She has taken beating. She's had her arm broken. She's come back for more. So you know that there's a fighter deep down there somewhere, but she just never got um, got it all entirely on track. And, you know, when you get to a certain point, no matter how marketable you might seem on paper, if you lose enough fights, the promoter's going to lose, you know, lose faith in you, at least in terms of being a top-level draw or a potential top-level draw, and that's what we saw here. So I think Paige is going to be the most interesting uh, kind of test case in terms of where the market is right now during the pandemic in terms of uh, MMA and free agency, because if this was a year ago, 
I think one FC over in um, in Asia would have signed her to a large deal already. Um, or, you know, perhaps Bellator would have signed her as well. But, um, you know, one is, you know, one is pretty much, from what we can tell, like a house of cards financially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that they have the um, uh, investment money it's still flowing the way they did when they signed a, a bunch of people a couple of years ago. And Bellator, um, they're coming back in, in a couple of weeks, next week. Uh, but Zone is running into financial troubles themselves. And we're not sure what exactly that means for Bellator's future. Um uh, at least in terms of having the money to just sign uh, flashy free agents in the short term. So if Paige ends up getting, uh, you know, some type of considerable deal to go fight elsewhere, that would be a decent sign for the health of the sport in general. But if she kind of has to go crawling back to the UFC on a reduced deal, that would, uh, that would say something too. Hey, uh, last one before I let you go. I was reading, you know, some of the stories. I know that MMAJunkie.com had it. It's everywhere that uh, Colby Covington, Tyrone Woodley are talking about a fight. They've, they've been talking about a fight for years at this point. But I just want to get your thought on on both these guys. I mean, we haven't seen Colby since he ran out of the cage after getting pieced up by uh, Kamaru Usman. And then Tyrone Woodley, you know, he got dominated by Usman, and that's no no you know shot at either one of those guys. Usman's a, a top notch fighter sure. by, by all imagination, but Gilbert Burns Woodley doesn't doesn't look the same. He's thirty eight years old. Are these bad matchups for him, or do you think we're just seeing a guy in in the decline? Or what what do you make of what we've seen of him in his last two fights as a, as a guy who was dominant, not always exciting, but a dominant fighter, and but now turning thirty eight years old. Yeah, I mean. That might be it. We might be at the point. I hate to say it because Tyron Ridley's a good dude and, um, you know, a, a hell of a fighter, but he really burned the candles at both ends during his championship title reign. Um, you know, he was, he was um, trying to become a comedian and a talk show host and, and everything else while he had that uh, opportunity, and it started to affect him in his fights, and he never looked as sharp as he did on his way up. And, um, I mean, there's certain like, you know, okay, fine. If, if you lose a close fight, if you lose, um, you know, or if you get caught or something like that, then you can chalk that up and say, Hey, let's go back to the drawing board. But those were, those were just 10 absolutely listless rounds since fought in his last two fights. And, um, you know, that, that to me, that doesn't that that's like the type of funk that maybe you actually want to sit out for a while and figure out what your next move is. So if I was Covington, you get look, Covington um Covington was mauling everyone before you say whatever you want about Kobe's gimmick and his shtick. Like his his he's a fantastic fighter with a ridiculous gas tank. And um yeah, if I was Colby, I damn right I'd want this fight right now. That's why he's kind of publicly putting on the pressure. But um, you know, does Tyrone want it? Does Tyrone Tyron want to be there? That's kind of what it's going to come down to. But I think this would be a much better fight for Colby at this stage than for Tyrone. Dave Doyle, senior editor of MMAJunkie.com. I always love talking the sport with you, my friend. Thanks so much for taking time with me as as always, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Stay safe out there. You got it. You too. Thanks.